following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, last week, as we concluded our series on evangelism called Proclaim, we talked about the, the final words of Jesus, the last thing he said to his disciples before he was taken up in a cloud in the ascension. And you remember they had asked him, are you now that you've been resurrected, are you finally going to restore Israel, which is the wrong question, which is how we usually approach Jesus with the wrong question. Um, And he answered them, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we had focused on the idea last week from that passage of being a witness for Jesus. Remember, we talked about witness as a noun. It's a, something you are, not something that you go and do to somebody. But I think it's uh, jumping to that conclusion was fitting for the series that we were part of. But you, you may notice there was a, we kind of jumped over something there that probably I should have, should have extended the sermon series by a week and talked about this because he only says, you'll be my witnesses after, what? After you receive the Holy Spirit. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so the disciples, having heard what Jesus told them, remained together in Jerusalem. And they were together uh, on the day of the Jewish Feast of Pentecost, which really interestingly is uh, the Jewish celebration of the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. Because this is about to get, you know, the, the worldview is about to change, right? Um, they were together in Jerusalem observing this feast when the Holy Spirit fell on them like a rushing wind. You know, that, that song that we sang a minute ago, Fall Afresh, says, blow through the caverns of my soul. Um, this house just got filled with this rushing wind. The Holy Spirit came upon them just as Jesus promised. And it caused a, a, a wild scene. Part of which was that everybody started speaking in different languages, which had the amazing result that all the people who had gathered in Jerusalem in this pluralistic, multicultural city heard the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed in their own language, even though the speakers were not necessarily native speakers of those languages. And so last year we did something, and we're doing it again this year, which officially makes it a tradition. Um, on the day of Pentecost, to observe this event and celebrate it. What we're going to do here is we're going to hear each of the four scripture readings that are assigned by the lectionary uh, for the day of Pentecost. We're going to hear them read in languages other than our own. I think most of us, if not all of us today, um, are native English speakers. I see a few um, who I know to be bilingual, and I know there are probably others, but most of us are very conversant in English, and these languages will be foreign to us. So each text will be read in a language other than English, and then uh, a reflection, a devotional reflection will be offered by a member of the artisan community. Um, and in, in this way, we're going to... Um, live into these two ideas of, of Pentecost, which is one of, of uh, language and interpretation, and the other of spiritual giftedness to all believers. So I'm going to step away and not share any kind of devotional or um, sermonic thought this morning, and we're going to leave it to those who have 
uh, agreed to share reflections today. And so um, what will happen is, in a second, we'll start with uh, Colleen, who's going to both read and reflect on Acts 2, which is the story, or it's the part of the Bible that tells the story of this event. She'll be followed by um, Ian, who will read 1 Corinthians 12, and Ken, who's going to offer a reflection on that text. The third text is Psalm 104, which will be read by Chris Sullivan, and the reflection comes from Ariel Jensen Battaglia. And then the last text is from John 20, which will be read by Anna McDermott, and the reflection will come from Wade Reed. All right, so I'll step away, and and you guys can just come up um, in the order that I've just described, and if there's a a pause where it seems like somebody's forgetting, I'll just kind of nudge someone. Um, uh, But thank you so much for those of you who agreed to share today, and uh, please give your attention to these words. Acte 2, 1 à 21. Quand le jour de la Pentecôte arriva, les croyants étaient réunis tous ensemble au même endroit. Tout à coup, un bruit vint du ciel comme si un vent violent se mettait à souffler et il remplit toute la maison où ils étaient assis. Ils virent alors apparaître des langues pareilles et des flammes de feu. Elles se séparent et elles se posèrent une à une sur chacun d'eux. Ils furent tous remplis du Saint-Esprit et se mirent à parler en d'autres langues selon ce que l'Esprit leur donnait d'exprimer. À Jérusalem vivaient des Juifs pieux, venus de tous les pays du monde. Quand ce bruit se fit entendre, ils s'assemblèrent en foule. Ils étaient tous profondément surpris, car chacun d'eux entendait les croyants parler dans sa propre langue. Ils étaient remplis d'étonnement et d'admiration et disaient, « Ces gens qui parlent, ne sont-ils pas tous galéens Comment se fait-il alors que chacun de nous les entende parler dans sa langue maternelle Parmi nous, il y en a qui viennent du pays des Parthes et de Médie et de l'âme. Il y a des habitants de Mésopotamie, de Jodie et de Cappadoce, du Pont, et de la province d'Asie, de Phyrgie et de Pamphylie, d'Égypte et de la région de Créenne en Libye. Il y en a qui sont venus de Rome, de Crète et d'Arabie. Certains sont nés juifs et d'autres se, con- se sont convertis à la religion juive. Et pourtant, nous les entendons parler dans nos diverses langues de grandes œuvres de Dieu. Ils étaient tous remplis d'étonnement et ne savaient plus que penser. Ils se disaient les uns aux autres, « Qu'est-ce que cela signifie ?» Mais d'autres se moquaient des croyants en disant, « Ils sont complètement ivres. » Pierre se leva alors avec les onze autres apôtres d'une voix forte et s'adressa à la foule. Vous, juifs, et vous tous qui vivez à Jérusalem, écoutez attentivement mes paroles et comprenez bien ce qui se passe. Ces gens ne sont pas ivres comme vous le supposez, car il est seulement neuf heures du matin. Mais maintenant se réalise ce que le prophète Joël a annoncé. Voici ce qui arrivera dans les derniers jours de Dieu. Je répondrai de mon esprit sur tout être humain, vos fils et vos filles deviendront prophètes. Je parlerai par des visions à vos jeunes gens et par des rêves à vos veillards. Oui, je reprendrai de mon esprit sur mes serviteurs et mes servantes en ces jours-là, et ils seront prophètes. Je susciterai des phénomènes extraordinaires en haut et dans le ciel, et des signes miraculeux en bas sur la terre. Il y aura du sang, du feu et des nuages de fumée. 
le soleil deviendra obscur et la lune rouge comme du sang, avant que vienne le jour du Seigneur, ce jour grand et glorieux. Alors, quiconque fera appel au Seigneur sera sauvé. Okay, back to English. <laughs> um, Acts 2 starts out, when the day of Pentecost came. When I first hear the word Pentecost, the first thing that comes to mind is our charismatic brothers and sisters in Christ who experience the Spirit more acutely today because they believe that the gifts of the Spirit, including prophecy and speaking in tongues, are still available to Christians today. But if we look at the Greek for Pentecost, you see the root pent, kind of like Pentagon which means 50. And Pentecost means 50 days. Um, so that begs the question, 50 days from what? Well, if you're like me, uh, and you hadn't heard what Pastor Scott just said, <laughs> uh, you would say that today is called Pentecost because it was 50 days after the resurrection of Christ, which is accurate but not exactly true. Uh, when the day of Pentecost came is what Acts 2, verse 1 starts off with. And then in verse 5, it says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Why were they all there? What was the occasion? Um, this was the time of the celebration of the Festival of Weeks, also known as Pentecost. Um, and like Pastor Scott said, um, Pentecost was originally a Jewish holiday. And this is something I only recently realized uh, when I was speaking to one of my medical school classmates. Um, my classmate, Shalom, is an ordained rabbi, and he knows a lot about the Torah. So during Passover, I was talking to Shalom about my experience at Artisan um, celebrating uh, the Passover Seder, and he was explaining a lot more of those, um, the symbolism behind that. And then he mentioned Pentecost, and I stopped him, and I, I was like, the Jews celebrate Pentecost? What's Jewish Pentecost? Um, and this is what he told me. So Pentecost celebrates when Moses received the law, including the Ten Commandments, from God on Mount Sinai. And the 50 days is referring to the 50 days that it had passed since the Israelites uh, had left Egypt, and so they'd been in the desert for 50 days. Um, in Numbers chapter 28, verse 26, it says, On the day of first fruits, when you present to the Lord an offering of new grain during the festival of weeks, or Pentecost, hold a sacred assembly and do no work. So this explains why there were so many Jews in Jerusalem at this time in Acts 2. But for Christians, there's something more here. There's a profound beauty to God's timing. On the day all the Jews were gathered to commemorate receiving the law, a small group of Jesus' followers, the early believers, were gathered together. In Exodus, we're told, God descended on Mount Sinai amidst thunder and lightning, obscured by a thick cloud and heralded by a very loud trumpet. In Acts, um, from what I just read, we hear that suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. Back in Exodus, Moses received the law when God descended on him and spoke to him. In Acts, the early believers experienced God descending on each of them. And this is something that would have killed the Israelites back in Exodus, where God warns Moses multiple times to keep the Israelites away from Mount Sinai because even looking at God's presence would cause them to die. But something was different now for the new Christians. God's spirit was no longer deadly because Jesus had paid the price for all. Peter, when he stands up before the assembly, quotes Joel's prophecy stating in verse 17, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And in verse 21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. On the same day that all these Jews in Jerusalem are here to celebrate God giving the law, 
Here, um, God is fulfilling the law and giving his spirit to all people who believe. For me, this deeper understanding of what God, God did on Pentecost in Acts gives me a greater appreciation for the power of the Holy Spirit that is living in each of us who believe and receive God's saving grace. And that realization leads me to awe and wonder. And I can only conclude with praise. So praise be the one who chose to send his only son to die on behalf of all of us so that instead of dying from God's presence, my life might be a reflection of his goodness. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Ian, and I'm going to read a passage in Spanish. Um, before I start, I just want to say I'm glad that we found a, a fourth person to translate, but I'm also disappointed since the Google Translate thing was my idea. <laughs> anyway. Um, por eso os hago saber que nadie hablando por el Espíritu de Dios dice anatema se Jesús. Tampoco nadie puede decir Jesús es el Señor, sino por el Espíritu Santo. Ahora bien, hay diversidad de dones, pero el Espíritu es el mismo. Hay también diversidad de misterios, pero el Señor es el mismo. También hay diversidad de actividades, pero el mismo Dios es el que realiza todas las cosas en todos. Pero a cada cual la es dada la manifestación del Espíritu para provecho mutuo. Porque a uno se la da palabra de sabiduría por mito del Espíritu, pero a otra palabra de conocimiento según el mismo Espíritu. A otro fe por el mismo Espíritu y a otro dones de sanidades por un solo Espíritu. A otro el hacer milagros, a otro profecía, a otro discernimiento de espíritus a otro géneros de lenguas y a otro interpretación de lenguas. Pero todas estas cosas las realiza el único y el mismo Espíritu, repartiendo a cada uno en particular como el designa. Porque de la manera que el cuerpo es un solo y tiene muchos miembros, y que todos los miembros del cuerpo, aunque son muchos, son un solo cuerpo, Así también es Cristo, porque por un solo Espíritu fuimos bastitados todos en el solo cuerpo, tanto judíos como griegos, tanto esclavos como libres, y a todos se nos dio a beber de un solo Espíritu. And there's Ken. I uh, wasn't quite as organized as Colleen and don't have my thoughts written out, but I've been cogitating on this for the last several days. Um, I'm going to just read through the passage, 1 Corinthians. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, I'll speak up. <laughs> uh, first, first Corinthians 12, and I will uh, start with uh, the first one just to cheat because I like context. 
Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. This is a letter from Paul to the church in Corinth, which is a church that he planted in Greece. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord or Jesus is Yahweh, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And that's critical there. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. That is faith, not not saving faith, but faith to believe that God will act in a particular situation. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy that is speaking the word of God, not necessarily prediction. To another, the discernment of spirits. That is to say, whether something is from the Holy Spirit or something is... is is false teaching. To another, various kinds of tongues, and it's interesting that this is at the very end of the list, although it's the gift that started all this, um, it seems to be less important than the others. And to another, here's the clincher, the interpretation of tongues, because tongues are useless unless you know what somebody's saying. All of these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. Not how we whine and moan um, or pray our little hearts out to get tongues, which not an issue here, but it was when I was growing up in, in some, of my, some of my friends in some churches and my father. For just as the body is one, And has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. And I think probably there are Jews or Greeks, Jews or non-Jews, for that matter, um, Evangelicals and non-evangelicals, maybe. <laughs> uh, Americans, non-Americans. You know, it, 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 it's encompassing everyone. Um, when I was a kid, I, I made some some allusion to that. Um, I had friends, uh, and it was kind of popular teaching in the church. Uh, everyone was going after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, maybe not everyone, but lots of people. And for them, mostly what the baptism of the Holy Spirit meant was speaking in tongues. Um, and there are many other gifts here that are, that are mentioned. Uh, and 
I think a critical thing to look at here is, again, that these are given for the common good, for the good of, of the church. And uh, even, even tongues, uh, as, I, as I also mentioned, there's, it's, it says explicitly in Scripture where uh, if, if you have the gift of speaking in tongues, unless there's someone there who can interpret, shut up, <laughs> basically, because it's useless. Uh, it's, it's just babbling. Um, and that was, a, that was a flashy gift, not to, to criticize that gift, but it was a gift that a lot of people wanted. Uh, and, and this whole idea of gifts, too, what, what are the gifts? The gifts are, are abilities that are given to us by the Holy Spirit to serve the church and to serve those around us. Um, and there are lists other places, but those include... Uh, for instance, they're talking here about the uh, interpretation of tongues as something, leadership, um, administration, things that seem kind of boring, healing, uh, which could be miraculous healing. It could be being a doctor or, or in the medical profession. It could be psychological healing, the ability to, to help others, stand with others and help them through their difficulties. And... Uh, there's a gift which is sometimes called the gift of helps. It's the gift of just noticing that there's something that needs to be done and doing it. Um, not a very flashy gift. Um, I'm kind of fond of it because it's something I, I, I find in myself. Um, there, are, there are entire seminars do- devoted to figuring out what your, what your spiritual gifts are because Lord knows you can't be fulfilled if you don't know what your gifts are and God is tricky, Right? Um, actually, no. <laughs> I, I think it was fairly obvious during in Pentecost when people started speaking in tongues, it was obvious what was going on. They may have been surprised, but uh, those around them can understand them. And, and I think that we'll find, if we're doing what we love and what we're effective at, we'll find that we're, we are, we're working and ministering in our gifts. Um, and I don't believe that God is tricky. Uh, I, think, I think he leads us into our gifts because he wants us to use them to serve. Um, I, I, I personally have found, though, on the other hand, you know, while, while I may make light of, of, of uh, working in the gifts and you know, somehow being unfulfilled, we were made for this. It's not something that we're not going to like. <laughs> it's it's going to be doing things that we enjoy. Uh, there are some people who even call, well, Creative communication was one, heard I, one, one term I heard for it. Call that a gift. And I, and I think in a lot of ways that's true. Um, whether that be through music, photography, various kinds of visual arts, poetry, writing. And I can tell you, um, it was kind of interesting. It struck me because two of the songs that we, we sang today, the, uh, the background pictures were uh, shots of mine. Uh, uh, one was... Uh, from Wolf Creek Glen, the little waterfall, and the other was actually the purple crocuses were from my front yard. Uh, my mother planted those, and those are special to me because of sentimental reasons, but also just because I think they're pretty. And uh, that's, I have, I have uh, a, a hobby of photography, something I enjoy, uh, and, and I make that actually a gift to the church then um, in, in being able to give, give these images. And I've done a lot with music in the church. Uh, previous church, I played uh, 
base in our, our <laughs> we called it worship team. Some of you will laugh at that. Um, for many years, and for whatever reason, uh, for, for, for a combination of reasons, I haven't been able to do a whole lot of music here. And that gift wants to come out somewhere. Um, and I've found that one way to do that is through photography, because uh, I want to communicate somehow. And uh, just communicating God's beauty is one way of doing that. Um, and I find that it's true that if I wasn't doing something creative, I would kind of shrivel up and just, maybe not shrivel up and die, but shrivel up and not be very happy. And, and in that sense, I think serving in our guests is very important. I think that we'll, we'll feel, we'll drop in, it'll feel natural. You'll know when you're using the gifts that God has given you. Uh, and they're not, it's not a burden, but a blessing. Uh, it gives us a way to serve him and to serve his people in a way that we'll enjoy and that will bring us great joy. Um, so that said, uh, serve him and, uh, and do it in, in great joy. Hello, everyone. Oops. I am Chris Sullivan. I'm going to read um, a portion of Psalm 104 in Hebrew. There we go. Close to the mouth. Um, so beginning at 24. This thing would stay up. Ma rabu ma'asecha Adonai. Kulam bachma asita malah aretz kaninaka. Ze hayom gadol. Orhav Yadaam Sham Remesh Vain Masapar Hayot Kitnot Im Gadalot Sham Aniot Yehalkun Levaatan Ze Yatrita Lesek Bo Kulam Elaka Yesberun Latit Aklam Bido Taten lachem, yokotun tefta yadaka, yishbaun tov, testar panacha, yibechilun, tosef rachom, yigvaun, vel afraam shavaun, tashalach rucha, yibarun, Et Chadesh Pane Adama, Yehikavod Adonai, Leolam Yeshma Adonai Bamashev, Hamabit Laaretz, Vaya Et Raad, Yaga Baharam Baashanu, Ashara Ladonai Bahaya, Azra Bahaya Bayod. Ye erev alive, shachi anachi achma badonai. Barchi nafshi, et adonai, hallelujah.
Hello, everyone. My name's Marielle. When Pastor Scott asked me to speak about this passage and on the day of Pentecost, I thought that it was sort of fitting. If you know me, I'm a very logical, rational type of person in most circumstances, and I feel that Pentecost was probably very difficult for people with my personality type when it occurred. So during the other events of Jesus's ministry, death, and resurrection, there are lots of hard pieces of evidence that, at least at the time, years and years ago, people could bring back. We have the burial coverings left in the tomb. We've got a man appearing with nail marks on his hands, and these are things that can be brought back again and again. When you have the Pentecost, you have some guys in a room who have a sudden rush of noise, which people hear, but maybe can't see, it's a noise, and then flames, uh, at least what's described as flames, which are in the room, and then go away. So in terms of coming back and saying this really happened, I think for logical, rational, very religious Jews, this was probably a difficult event for them. And that's why I love Psalm 104, because Psalm 104 kind of goes beyond what we're used to hearing and what we're used to thinking about in a logical way in that it's so ancient and so repeated that it's spoken to just everyone at all times about how God speaks to everyone and everything at all times. So a little bit of background. Psalm 104 has no agreed upon author, but it does have um, a lot of historical significance. It has a lot of similarities to the creation story. It has many similarities to an ancient Egyptian text about creation. And it also um, doesn't have a specific audience in the psalm anywhere. So it's just a psalm about God creating, not specifically Jerusalem or descendants of him who begat him. So even today, this is an incredibly important psalm, and I think it's perfect that it was read in Hebrew because it is still used by observant Jews, very religious Jews. We recite this psalm daily in Hebrew, and uh, even less religious Jews still use it on a festival called Rosh Chodesh, and I apologize if I'm butchering that, which is the festival of the new moon that marks the beginning of the lunar month. So it's an important psalm. The main point of this psalm is to me, who does the Holy Spirit speak to or descend upon? And that's very important to think about at Pentecost. It's easy for us to say, based on the Bible, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to and descending upon people. But when you read the psalm, verse 27 is talking about all the living things on the earth. It says, these look to you, they look to you, to give, you, to give them their food in season. When they, you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. So God's spirit is going on to things that not only are not human, but maybe aren't even living, the ground itself. And when we think about that, the Acts passage, when I think about that, I am just so stirred by the fact that it, it lists sons, daughters, slaves, old men, portents in heaven, on earth, that are signs of God's spirit. So then I ask myself, is God's spirit or the way that it speaks to us limited by language? Obviously not. Everyone's speaking in tongues. Is it limited by age? No. Gender? No cognitive status, whether or not someone can understand what's being said? I don't think so. 
proximity or space, that's starting to get a little tough, but no, why not? It's God. What about time? Is God's spirit limited by time? I don't really think so. So when we start to see God's spirit in that way, and when I start to think of it in that way, the practical application for me is that it changes how I interact with my environment. Knowing that something that's inanimate but yet part of creation is subject to God's spirit and putting that forward in terms of fulfilling God's plan, it changes how I respect and care for the earth, the universe, people that don't speak like me, can't act like me, maybe I think can't even think like me. Um, and there's my timer. So. <laughs> so that's kind of what I took from it, is that God's spirit doesn't only know no bounds in terms of humans, but knows no bounds in terms of anything that's part of God's creation. Hello. Um, I'm Anna McDermott, and I'll be reading uh, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23 in Latin. Cum esset ergo sera die illo una sabatorum et forent et forest essent close ube erant discipuli propter metam judadorum. Venit Jesus et stetit in medio et dicit eis pax vobis. Et hoc com dixisent ostendit eis manus et latus. Gawisi sunt, ero discipuli viso domino. Dixit ergo eis, iterem, pax vobis, sicut misi me pater et ego mito, mito vos. Hoc cum dixisent, insuflavit, et dicit eis, accepte spiritum sanctum, quorum remiseritis, peccata remitenter, eis quorum retun Retinuertis detenta sunt. Hi, I'm Wade. <clears throat> um, so I've always been a bit of a contrarian. So it, it was like no surprise to me when I opened up this passage in John and what I saw was kind of like the other side of the story because the story of Pentecost out of Acts 2 is one that's uh, it's pretty familiar. It's, it's kind of like a blockbuster. Um, it's right at the beginning of the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is like full of action, and it sort of sets the book of Acts off on a rocket, right? There's like this wind and this fire and all these amazing things and all these, like this wonderful sermon, and then all these people coming to Christ, and it's like, boom, right? It, it is the big Hollywood production version of Pentecost, and... Um, that's amazing. We all get into it. It's something that's really wonderful and wonderful to celebrate. But it's really interesting to then read a passage in John where John is reflecting on the Spirit and John is reflecting on receiving the Spirit. And the conclusion he comes to, the things he remembers about receiving the Spirit are like completely different. Whereas Acts 2, you know, it's the very beginning of the chapter, the very beginning of the book, and it's like this big explosive event. Um, in John, it's in the middle of the chapter. And it's in the middle of a chapter that... Um, I don't know how to say this politely. It's kind of a downer. Um, it starts with like, where's Jesus? He's not, at the, he's not even at the tomb. We can't even visit his body. In this chapter, like Mary is literally sitting outside the tomb weeping. And if you can't feel like the sense of loss and if you don't get the gravity of the grief and the sadness uh, that these people are going through, then you're kind of missing the chapter. And so this is where we are. We're in a room 
full of people who are terrified of their very lives, people who have a palpable sense of loss and tension. And that's where John remembers receiving the Spirit, not in this big, explosive, blockbuster event, but in the midst of terror, in the midst of grief and pain. And instead of big rushing wind and fire, John's just like, and Jesus was among them. It's like, well, you couldn't have played that down very much more, could you? It's like one simple sentence. And then when Jesus is among them, instead of like really amazing sermons and and this life-changing event for everyone, there's like three sentences. Peace be with you. And by the way, Jesus like says, here's my hands, here's my side. And, and then when, that, when Thomas goes through that whole thing, we give him so much trouble for demanding evidence. I'm kind of like Marielle, I love evidence. Like, we give him so much trouble, but that's exactly what Jesus does for these people. I don't know, that's a different sermon or a different message, whatever. But uh, I, I think what really impressed me, what really made me think is that one of the sentences is receive the Holy Spirit. And it says Jesus breathed on them. And that's really the only analogy to the Pentecost event in Acts 2. There's like a rushing wind, but the way John remembered it, it was a breath. It was a light breath, and it was a word of comfort. And it was a word of sending. There was a word of sending. He did say, you know, if you go out and and tell people about forgiveness, they'll be forgiven. And if you don't, they won't. That's in there. But what is so relevant to John about receiving the Holy Spirit is that in the midst of being tired, of of being terrified, and of being broken, Jesus came in something as subtle as a breath to give them the Spirit. And I just want to, I just want to, like, my last reflection, last thing, because my timer is running. The last thing I can leave you with is, when was the last time, I'm sure it's happened, when was the last time Jesus came to you It said, receive the Holy Spirit in something as subtle as a breath. In something as light as air moving over your body. In something as quiet as three little sentences. And maybe you like walked away from it. Maybe it was like, well, that that couldn't have been God because I I didn't have this and this and this other thing. Or that couldn't have been God because I wasn't in that place. Or that couldn't have been God because I was such a mess. These people were a mess. Read the chapter. It's all about brokenness. And so I'll just leave you with just this one challenge is that Pentecost is, is an amazing time, but we've said it a, a few times up here today, and it's really been impressed by me. God speaks to each one of us. And maybe God's going to speak to you in light whispers, in three simple sentences of comfort, and in the midst of something you do not believe you can go through. And I think that's kind of the other side of Pentecost. That's how someone like John would have remembered Pentecost. So that's what I leave you with. Man, wasn't that wonderful? Would you join me in thanking everybody who participated in this this morning? You guys did a great job. The church should, more often than it is, I'm sorry to say, be a place where everybody's voices are heard. And um, man, I was... Every one of those reflections was meaningful to me in a different way. And it's so great to hear from all of you. I hope that we'll hear from, from some of you again and from others of you who didn't get to share um, as, as we continue our life in faith together.
So our response to hearing the word proclaimed is to come to the table of the Lord. We have a communion meditation that I use sometime. I won't, sometimes. I won't say the whole thing right now, but it begins, this is not the table of the church, but the table of the Lord. And uh, it's, it's Jesus' table. It's the meal that he offers to his disciples. And uh, if you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, even a really bad one like Peter, <laughs> um, or, a, or a silent one like John, um, I say bad like Peter because he's like the opposite of my personality. So, um, we all see ourselves in the good, right? Uh, the point is, communion is not a test for you that you have to pass. Communion is a passing grade that you don't deserve, right? Um, you, you should not refrain from taking communion because you don't think you are worthy. You should take communion because you think you are not worthy. Um, we come to the table of the Lord together. The, the, the Spirit who gifts each and every one of us, is present uh, with Jesus in this moment and with us. Uh, So if you're following Jesus in this place, the table is for you. And uh, we'll sing a couple of more songs together. But come and receive the bread, uh, remembering his broken body. You can tear a piece of it off and dip it in the wine or the juice, whatever would be more appropriate for you and for your family, um, remembering his blood which was shed for each and every one of us. And uh, today, maybe I'll ask you to focus especially on the fact that this is an act of community. This is an act of unity. It is an act of communion with each other, with the Lord, and with other believers who celebrate and observe this sacrament uh, whenever they come together. So uh, as we continue to worship him, our table is open. Uh, I believe there'll be a member of the prayer team here. If you'd like personal prayer, you can come and receive that here. And uh, let's continue to worship him together this morning. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.